I gratefully acknowledge the Matsuki, Kwantlen, Keitsi, and Simiamu First Nations on whose unceded territories I am privileged to live, work, and play. This episode has a trigger warning as it discusses death and contains gunshot sound effects. Welcome to Teach Reach, a podcast with Tongi. When I was a kid, I learned about the four seasons, spring, summer, fall, and winter. As I grew older and moved to North America, I noticed that we have way more than four seasons. In a capitalist culture, deeply rooted in consumerism, we have seasons within seasons. New Year celebrations, Valentine's Day, taxes, Easter, Mother's Day, Father's Day, all the colonial independences and provincial holidays, back to school, Halloween, Christmas, and the cycle continues. For me, as a teacher in British Columbia, September is back to school. And with back to school comes not the complete vortex of starting a new school year, not the stress of daily commute, not the amount of emails and meetings, plus the preparation for the new classes, not the actual work, no, 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 not at all. With back to school in September comes, you probably guessed it. Okay, here's a hint. Starts with pumpkin, ends with spice latte. Yeah, pumpkin spice latte season. Before I moved to the West Coast, I didn't really pay attention to that craze. I didn't know that this was a big, real thing. But yes, it is a thing. And it's everywhere. And it's not only the drink, it's the attire that goes with it. And it drives me nuts. And you know when something drives you nuts? You see it everywhere. Every day you hear about it. You simply cannot escape it. When something drives you nuts, Your kids talk about it, insinuate it in conversations, and even ask you money to buy it for them. And like a puppet, driven by this thing called love, I feel compelled to go and get the bloody spice latte with them. I kid, I kid, I kid. It is really a fun way to spend time with them. We try to make those small gatherings at a coffee shop as much as possible, and also to have dinner as a family. That's one of our priorities. Besides the usual catching up on our day, sharing frustrations about what happened at work, oftentimes the conversation is filled with our oldest son, Jose, firing up hypothetical questions at us. He is the self-proclaimed king of hypotheticals. The latest was... Ignoring the limitations of real-life physics, if you could choose any superpower, what would you choose? My wife answered that she would love to be a bender from the movie Avatar The Last Airbender. She would want the ability to control and manipulate one of the elements, earth, water, fire, or air. For Jose, he wanted to manipulate time. For him, time is the strongest force in the universe. For example, if you condense as many punches as you can in 20 seconds and compress that into a fraction of a second, That's a lot of consecutive force. Also, you can stop and readjust anything you would need to. For example, stop time to get somewhere, for instance. 
The youngest one wanted to be like Spider-Man because it's so cool to swing from building to building. As we went around the table, I was really not sure of what I wanted. At first, I was thinking maybe the ability to just talk non-stop, like my six-year-old Gael. Trust me, that is a superpower in and of itself. There is absolutely no supervillain that can withstand that. We tried to bribe him to not talk for five seconds. We've been waiting for the last four years. So here I am, looking and waiting. If I could have a superpower, I wouldn't want to fly. Although I must confess that I probably watched Superman 1, 2, 3 about 75 times each in the 90s. I would not want to emulate the superheroes you see on TV. It's cool, but you know it's fake. It would need to be a superpower that I can actually use now. I'm at a point in my life where I want something tangible. For the last six years, every morning, I've been engaging in a journaling routine. I write down my thoughts, what's going on in our family, my intention, focus for the day, what's bugging me. I might write about a conversation that was powerful or frustrating, my teaching practice, the progress towards my future goals, my shortcomings, my misdeeds. I converse with my inner critic and I try to give myself some love. It is a praying and meditating process. It sets me right. However, every entry starts with a list of things that I'm grateful for. At the top of the list is always a, I am grateful for my healthy mind, healthy body, and healthy family. And the list can go from two items to an entire page, depending on the day. That day, I was presented with the question, it was hard to have more than the aforementioned item on the list. It was hard to be grateful. So, to the question... Ignoring the limitations of real-life physics, if you could choose any superpower, what would you choose? I simply replied, gratitude. They were dumbfounded. Like, what? You actually said gratitude? There is no way you can win anything or defeat anyone with gratitude. Like... You are going in front of a villain and be like, I'm grateful to face you. And what if you lose the battle? Will you be grateful for that too? I looked at my youngest one, Gael, and hoped he would have some compassion for me. After all, I cooked the meal and I paid for the coffee. And he was like, dude, that ain't a superpower. They remind me of that answer every now and then. While I am casually watching TV cooking, having brunch, they even sneak it in our family group chat. And it drives me nuts. But if you could have a superpower, what would it be? For me, it's gratitude or being grateful. My family can make fun of me as much as they want, but it will remain gratitude. All the ideas that I will express in this episode are likely not fully fleshed out. I've been mulling over it for a while, and frankly, I might have to split this into two episodes, part one and part two type of thing. But this is a collage of pieces about why I think gratitude is an awesome superpower. Eckhart Tolle, the German-Canadian spiritual teacher, says, 
Acknowledging the good that you already have in your life is the foundation for all abundance. It's pumpkin spice latte season, but it is also a key moment in the year, in Canada and in the United States. In a few days, it's Thanksgiving weekend in Canada, and in six weeks, it's Thanksgiving in the U.S. This is a moment that is often synonymous with families getting together or stressing out about getting together. Is it happening Sunday or Monday? Last year it was at my house. This year is at your house. That's the type of debates that you often hear. I'm getting the kids this time. You'll get them for the holidays. If you are in the U.S., it's also the kickoff of the holiday shopping season. But there are some important factors to take in consideration. As we live on unceded territory, it should be asked, what do we do with those celebrations? Especially Thanksgiving, which is often romanticized, the story not fully explained, and tied to some shady celebrations. For instance, the Thanksgiving weekend in Canada is during the so-called Columbus Day in the U.S. In 1990, the International Conference on Discrimination Against Indigenous Populations in the Americas, sponsored by the United Nations, began to discuss replacing Columbus Day in the United States with a celebration to be known as Indigenous Peoples Day. At least 13 states have renamed the American holiday as Indigenous Peoples Day to honor the people that lived on this land prior to Columbus' arrival. Brian Rice, an assistant professor at the University of Winnipeg and member of Mohawk Nation, in an interview with the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, CBC, said that Thanksgiving is originally an indigenous ceremony. All of our ceremonies, all of the things that we do, have to do with giving thanks. So it's part of a continuum of something that's been practiced for thousands of years, he said. In the same article, they talked about the quote-unquote first Thanksgiving in 1621, after the British colonists arrived in Massachusetts, where indigenous peoples came together to feed the colonizers. We are all familiar with that story, but what ought to be remembered is that quickly after, relations deteriorated. In Moskrat magazine, a digital indigenous arts, culture, and living magazine that honors the connection between humans and indigenous traditional ecological knowledge, I read a conversation called A First Nation's Take on Thanksgiving. Kim and Jordan Wheeler don't celebrate Thanksgiving in their blended Cree, Ojibwe, Mohawk, European-descended family. They call it a You're Welcome Weekend. For Jordan Wheeler, Thanksgiving is a European creation rooted in traditions dating back to the Protestant Reformation in the U.S. and for Canada to a communion in Nunavut held by Martin Frobisher, to give thanks to God for surviving the long journey from England. Moreover, even though it is a celebration of the harvest, there is a disconnect between food production and the consumer. It wasn't only food that was shared during the so-called first Thanksgiving in 1621 in Massachusetts. It was also knowledge and technique. In the indigenous community, sharing is a virtue, a sign of wealth, Jordan Wheeler said. From those two articles, my takeaway is that gratitude is a way of life. It is not a simple moment that you pause and acknowledge. It is a daily practice. Gratitude should be expressed in everything we do. As Jordan Wheeler says, 
to roll all those daily things into one day of the year and think you have it covered? Too easy and convenient. And people call us lazy. When you go to a show, a play, or a concert, the prime idea is to have fun. I hope. To enjoy yourself. Good artists have a way of captivating us. And whenever the show is over, or a piece is great, you clap. Have you ever paid attention to what artists on stage will say to your applause? They will reply, thank you. You clap to show your appreciation. Your applause is a way of thanking them. And they return it right back at you. It's quite instantaneous. There's not really a forethought. You clap, and when the clap dies down, you can hear, Thank you. Thank you. And usually, someone who is really, really drunk will scream, We love you! So, a show is a dialogue. Everything we do in our existence doesn't happen in a silo, in a vacuum. Being grateful is acknowledging that you receive something good from another. What you put out is what comes right back at you. Whatever you are grateful to is grateful of you as well. Every morning, as I open my journal to write the first few grateful sentences, I cannot help but hear the laughs, the mockeries from the monsters I live with. Nonetheless, I'm still grateful for them. Two weeks ago, we had a federal election in Canada. We went to vote as a family. Yes, even little Gael, six-year-old, came with us to see how we do it, to line up, to wait for our turn. And of course, to ask tons of questions like, do you have to vote? What happens if you do not vote? Didn't you vote two years ago? Who are you voting for? Why is it a secret? Who counts the vote? Why the line is so long? <laughs> you get the picture. While I was in line, I was transported back to my childhood in Port-au-Prince. It was October 13, 1987, a Tuesday. I was in grade one. My dad and my mom were about to watch the evening news in their bedroom, and it was time for me to collect my books after reciting my daily lessons to my mother. Usually, she would be sitting on her bed, holding my books and making sure that I know every line, no stuttering aloud. A big part of my elementary schooling in Haiti was memorizing history, geography, verb tenses, vocab words, multiplication tables, etc. And yes, it starts in grade one. As I collect my books, my dad turns on the TV. We are in 1987, one year after Baby Doc left. Based on the constitution that was voted earlier that year in March, the elections for a new president and a parliament are scheduled for November 29, 1987, a stepping stone towards democracy after 29 years of dictatorship. But you know, when you've been kept in the dark for so long, 29 years, and suddenly you see the light, it takes a while for your eyes to adjust. So you trip, you fall, you try to grab things around you to stand up, and you fall again. That was our reality then, and many would argue that it is our reality now. 
The news anchors started talking about the upcoming elections and a particular presidential candidate. His name was Yves Volel, a Haitian lawyer and activist. He ran for the Haitian Christian Democratic Party. That day, on October 13, 1987, Yves Volel went to give a speech demanding the release of his client, a political prisoner held without charges. The press was called to the press conference in front of the Port-au-Prince police headquarters and prison. During the speech, Yves Volel was shot to death on national television. This was replayed during the evening news. Absorbed by what was happening, my parents didn't notice that I was still in the room. I was not supposed to be in the room. I should not have heard that. I have not only heard it, I saw it played. The rawness of the gunshots still ringing in my ear. A month and a half later, on election day, Sunday, November 29th, 1987, my dad was to pick up his mother and father for them to vote in what would be their very first true democratic elections. We lived about 20 minutes from them. The plan was for my dad to wait for his parents to call him after church so he could drive them to the voting station at a school called École Argentine Bellegarde on Ruelle Vaillant, translated as Courageous or Brave Street. When my grandparents returned home from church, they called to be picked up. My dad asked them to turn on the radio. It was all over the news. A group of 50 to 60 armed men killed between 30 to 70 people and injured many. They first shot at voters in the waiting line with automatic weapons before continuing their attack with machetes inside the polling station. We would have been in that line too. But having heard this prevented them, my grandparents and my parents, from voting that day. Between grade 6 and 7, all elementary school students in Haiti have an official exam called the certificate. You get tested for two days on the fundamental topics such as math and French. The exam is done in a ministry-designated school based on your homeschool location and your last name. In June 1993, six years after the Election Day massacre, I was sitting in the same classrooms where people were killed for exercising their human rights. I was sitting in a school called École Argentine Belgrade on Ruel Vaillant. The Ruel Vaillant massacre, the place where the braves died for what they believed in. Standing in line with my family now in Canada, waiting to exercise my democratic right, I am overwhelmed with gratitude for not having fear that we would get shot to death in this lineup. At this point, there are probably multiple questions that you wish to fire my way. I mean, 
What I have been talking about so far is probably very short-sighted and doesn't include the wide range of what to consider when we are talking about gratitude. I realize that it is difficult to talk about gratitude because it is easily misunderstood. It is often filtered through a sense of success as a capitalistic virtue directed towards the fruit of our labor. It is wrapped in the idea that good things only happen to good people and bad things only happen to bad people. This is really a narrow view of the subject. For me, the idea of gratitude is about the small things. Can I be grateful for the small gestures directed at me? Can I welcome the kindness of a stranger? Can I empathize with others? Can I appreciate a call from a friend that I was not expecting? Can I take the time to enjoy the small moments with my children? Can I appreciate the endless questions that my six-year-old is bombarding me with? Expressing gratitude is paying attention to the things that we take for granted. As I have mentioned in previous episodes, I recognize the immense privilege that I have to have my basic needs met. I don't have the pretense to offer gratitude as a magic pill to solve people's deep personal woes. There is something in gratitude, in the way that we present it in the West, that exudes entitlement and exemption. When gratitude lies only in what we have rather than what we share, such as our lived experiences, we limit its potential. And recognizing one's privilege is embracing the responsibility that comes with it to actually change structures and help those who need it. And once this happens, if we share generously without expecting anything in return, the person who receives it will actually express gratitude by passing their knowledge forward to another person who needs it. Being grateful more than the prescribed moment of the year is a rebellious act. Robin Wall Kimmerer confirms it in her book, Braiding Sweetgrass. She said, While expressing gratitude seems innocent enough, it is a revolutionary idea. In a consumer society, contentment is a radical proposition. Recognizing abundance rather than scarcity undermines an economy that thrives by creating unmet desires. Gratitude cultivates an ethic of fullness, but the economy needs emptiness. Every school year, on the first day of school, I dedicate a journal to my teaching practice, to set my intentions as to how I will enter and navigate the school year. In closing, I will share with you part of what I have written this year. Sometimes, I give my entries a title, and this one is called Heal First. I used to think that gratitude could only be practiced in hindsight, only when something is fully digested and only when we have found a way out of our bad situation, only when we have made the full inventory of our current situation can we be truly grateful. Sometimes, no matter how grateful we are, we cannot avoid things. Shit happens. Or even better, life happens. But I am learning to be careful. Gratitude is also being deeply rooted in the present, in the now. Sometimes, 
those things that I practice daily or that I think are special about me have a limit and cannot prevent life from happening. My discipline, my hard work, my humor, my positive attitude cannot prevent a bad outcome. Yet, I carry them as badges of honor. I think they can serve me to acquire a support system, a certain safety net that will help me when all hell breaks loose. Even in our language, the idea of hell breaking loose suggests that hell is somewhat contained, that we are maybe walled from the noise outside. We do not account for hell, for obstacles in our daily lives. At least, I sometimes do not. But, as Marcus Aurelius says, the impediment to action advances action. What stands in the way becomes the way. Every now and then, the wall will crack. Every now and then, all hell will break loose. I am a phone call away to all hell breaking loose. So what other option do I have but to be grateful for where I am now? And that's truly why we need to be grateful. Maybe because we have gone through hell, we can now be grateful that not everything got wiped away. Maybe because we are here now, me behind the mic, and you listening, we have to be grateful to simply be together. Maybe we can also be grateful that when we are doing well, we then have the ability to express compassion, to show empathy and lend a hand, an ear, a shoulder to cry on to someone else. I will enter this new school year with the following intent, to understand that each and every one of us are traveling their path at their own rhythm. We each rock to the beat of our own drum set. The drum set is our heart, pulsating and dictating each of our steps. Because we are each at our own rhythm, some of us are processing, some of us are resting, some of us are gearing up, some of us are launching, some of us are healing. I wish this school year to work with my students from the scar and not from the wound. Heal first. And it's by being aware of where we are that we can support one another. For this, we got to talk to each other, but also intently listen. Gratitude is not counting the cost. Gratitude removes fear. I am grateful to be here. I'd like to take the time, since this episode is about gratitude, to express my deep gratitude and thanks to each and every one of you who have clicked, listened, subscribed, shared, and left a review of the show. I truly value the time that was put into interacting with me. Even if we do not directly converse, I believe that we are in this big conversation, me behind the mic and you on your commute, on your walk after dropping kids to school or daycare while cooking, on your run, on your couch or wherever the case may be. I am deeply appreciative of having this platform to simply share my stories and my guest stories with you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you very much. 
Teach Reach is made by Dr. Lemstein Productions, mixing and editing by Ian Lamb. The intro and outro music is by Takuto. If you'd like to listen to the show on the regular, become a subscriber and leave us a review on Apple, Google, or Spotify. You can find more information about our podcast at teachreach.podbean.com. Until next time, Kembi Lapalagi. Hang in there. Don't give up.